Book 16, Chapters 3 and 4 of the Antiquities of the Jews, Volume 4. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Anne Boulay. The Antiquities of the Jews, Volume 4, by Flavius Josephus. Translated by William Whiston. Book 16, Chapters 3 and 4. Chapter 3. How great disturbances arose in Herod's family on his preferring Antipater, his eldest son, before the rest, till Alexander took that injury very heinously. But now the affairs in Herod's family were in more and more disorder, and became more severe upon him, by the hatred of Salome to the young men, Alexander and Aristobulus, which descended as it were by inheritance from their mother Mariamne, and as she had fully succeeded against their mother, so she proceeded to that degree of madness and insolence, as to endeavor that none of her posterity might be left alive, who might have it in their power to revenge her death. The young men had also somewhat of a bold and uneasy disposition towards their father, occasioned by the remembrance of what their mother had unjustly suffered, and by their own affection of dominion. The old grudge was also renewed, and the east reproaches on Salome and Fioras, who requited the young men with malicious designs, and actually laid treacherous snares for them. Now as for this hatred, it was equal on both sides, but the manner of exerting that hatred was different. For as for the young men, they were rash, reproaching and affronting the others openly, and were inexperienced enough to think it the most generous to declare their minds in that undaunted manner. But the others did not take that method, but made use of calumnies after a subtle and a spiteful manner, still provoking the young men, and imagining that their boldness might in time turn to the offering violence to their father. For inasmuch as they were not ashamed of the pretended crimes of their mother, nor thought she suffered justly, these supposed that might at length exceed all bounds, and induce them to think they ought to be avenged on their father, though it were by dispatching him with their own hands. At length it came to this, that the whole city was full of their discourses, and, as is usual in such contests, the unskillfulness of the young men was pitied. But the contrivance of Salome was too hard for them, and what imputations she laid upon them came to be believed, by means of their own conduct. For they who were so deeply affected with the death of their mother, that while they said both she and themselves were in a miserable case, they vehemently complained of her pitiable end, which indeed was truly such, and said that they were themselves in a pitiable case also, because they were forced to live with those that had been her murderers, and to be partakers with them. These disorders increased greatly, and the king's absence abroad had afforded a fit opportunity for that increase. But as soon as Herod was returned, and had made the aforementioned speech to the multitude, Pheroras and Salome let fill words immediately as if he were in great danger, and as if the young men openly threatened that they would not spare him any longer, but revenge their mother's death upon him. They also added another circumstance, that their hopes were fixed on Archelaus, the king of Cappadocia, that they should be able by his means to come to Caesar and accuse their father. Upon hearing such things, Herod was immediately disturbed and indeed was the more astonished, 
because the same things were related to him by some others also. He then called to mind his former calamity, and considered that the disorders in his family had hindered him from enjoying any comfort from those that were dearest to him, or from his wife whom he loved so well, and suspecting that his future troubles would soon be heavier and greater than those that were past, he was in great confusion of mind. For divine providence had in reality conferred upon him a great many outward advantages for his happiness, even beyond his hopes. But the troubles he had at home were such as he never expected to have met with, and rendered him unfortunate. Nay, both sorts came upon him to such a degree as no one could imagine, and made it a doubtful question, whether, upon the comparison of both, he ought to have exchanged so great a success of outward good things, for so great misfortunes at home, or whether he ought not to have chosen to avoid the calamities relating to his family, though he had, for a compensation, never been possessed of the admired grandeur of a kingdom. As he was thus disturbed and afflicted, in order to depress these young men, he brought to court another of his sons, that was born to him when he was a private man. His name was Antipater, Yet did he not then indulge him as he did afterwards, when he was quite overcome by him, and let him do everything as he pleased, but rather with a design of depressing the insolence of the sons of Mariamne, and managing this elevation of his so, that it might be for a warning to them, for this bold behavior of theirs, he thought, would not be so great, if they were persuaded that the succession to the kingdom did not appertain to them alone, or must of necessity come to them. So he introduced Antipater as their antagonist, and imagined that he made a good provision for discouraging their pride, and that after this was done to the young men, there might be a proper season for expecting these to be of a better disposition. But the event proved otherwise than he intended, for the young men thought he did them a very great injury, and as Antipater was a shrewd man, when he had once obtained this degree of freedom, and had begun to expect greater things than he had before hoped for. He had but one single design in his head, and that was to distress his brethren, and not at all to yield to them the preeminence, but to keep close to his father, who was already alienated from them by the calumnies he had heard about them, and ready to be wrought upon in any way his zeal against them, should advise him to pursue, that he might be continually more and more severe against them. Accordingly, all the reports that were spread abroad came from him, while he avoided himself the suspicion as if those discoveries proceeded from him. But he rather chose to make use of those persons for his assistance that were unsuspected, and as might be believed to speak the truth by reason of the good will they bore to the king, and indeed there were already not a few who cultivated a friendship with Antipater, in hopes of gaining somewhat by him and these were the men who most of all persuaded Herod, because they appeared to speak thus out of their own good will to him. And with these joint accusations, which from various foundations supported one another's veracity, the young men themselves afforded further occasions to Antipater also, for they were observed to shed tears often, on account of the injury that was offered them, and had their mother in their mouths and among their friends they ventured to reproach their father, as not acting justly by them. All which things were with an evil intention reserved in memory by Antipater against a proper opportunity, and when they were told to Herod, with aggravations, increased the disorder so much, that it brought a great tumult into the family, 
for while the king was very angry at imputations that were laid upon the sons of mariamne and was desirous to humble them he still increased the honor that he had bestowed on antipater and was at last so overcome by his persuasions that he brought his mother to court also he also wrote frequently to caesar in favor of him and more earnestly recommended him to his care particularly and when agrippa was returning to rome after he had finished his ten years government in asia herod sailed from judea and when he met with him he had none with him but antipater whom he delivered to agrippa that he might take him along with him together with many presents that so he might become caesar's friend insomuch that things already looked as if he had all his father's favor and that the young men were already entirely rejected from any hopes of the kingdom chapter four how during antipater's abode at rome herod brought alexander and aristobulus before caesar and accused them alexander's defense of himself before caesar and reconciliation to his father and now what happened during antipater's absence augmented the honor to which he had been promoted and his apparent eminence above his brethren for he had made a great figure in rome because herod had sent recommendations of him to all his friends there only he was grieved that he was not at home nor had proper opportunities of perpetually calumniating his brethren and his chief fear was lest his father should alter his mind and entertain a more favorable opinion of the sons of mariamne and as he had this in mind he did not desist from his purpose but continually sent from rome any such stories as he hoped might grieve and irritate his father against his brethren under pretense indeed of a deep concern of his preservation but in truth such as his malicious mind dictated in order to purchase a greater hope of the succession which yet was already great in itself and thus he did till he had excited such a degree of anger in herod that he was already become very ill disposed towards the young men but still while he delayed to exercise so violent a disgust against them and that he might not either be too remiss or too rash and so offend he thought it best to sail to rome and there accuse his sons before caesar and not indulge himself in any such crime as might be heinous enough to be suspected of impiety but as he was going up to rome it happened that he made such haste as to meet with caesar at the city of aquilae so when he came to the speech of caesar he asked for a time for hearing this great cause wherein he thought himself very miserable and presented his sons there and accused them of their mad actions and of their attempts against him that they were enemies to him and by all the means they were able did their endeavors to show their hatred to their own father and would take away his life and so obtain his kingdom after the most barbarous manner that he had power from caesar to dispose of it not by necessity but by choice to him who shall exercise the greatest piety towards him while these my sons are not so desirous of ruling as they are upon a disappointment thereof to expose their own life if so be they may but deprive their father of his life so wild and polluted is their mind by time become out of their hatred to him that whereas he had a long time borne this his misfortune he was now compelled to lay it before caesar and to pollute his ears with such language while he himself wants to know what severity they have ever suffered from him or what hardships he hath ever laid upon them to make them complain of him 
and how they can think it just that he should not be lord of that kingdom which he in a long time and with great danger had gained and not allow him to keep it and dispose of it to him who should deserve best and this with other advantages he proposes as a reward for the piety of such a one as will hereafter imitate the care he hath taken of it and that such a one may gain so great a requital as that is and that it is an impious thing for them to pretend to meddle with it beforehand for he who hath ever the kingdom in his view at the same time reckons upon procuring the death of his father because otherwise he cannot come at the government that as for himself he had hitherto given them all that he was able and what was agreeable to such as are subjects to the royal authority and the sons of a king what ornaments they wanted with servants and delicate fare and had married them into the most illustrious families the one aristobulus to his sister's daughter but alexander to the daughter of king archelaus and what was the greatest favor of all when their crimes were so very bad he had authority to punish them yet had he not made use of it against them but had brought them before caesar their common benefactor and had not used the severity which either as a father who had been impiously abused or as a king who had been assaulted treacherously he might have done but made them stand upon a level with him in judgment that however it was necessary that all this should not be passed over without punishment nor himself live in the greatest fears nay that it was not of their own advantage to see the light of the sun after what they had done although they should escape at this time since they had done the vilest things and would certainly suffer the greatest punishments that ever were known among mankind these were the accusations which herod laid with great vehemency against his sons before caesar now the young men both while he was speaking and chiefly at his concluding wept and were in confusion now as to themselves they knew in their own conscience they were innocent but because they were accused by their father they were sensible as the truth was that it was hard for them to make their apology since though they were at liberty to speak their minds freely as the occasion required and might with force and earnestness refute the accusation yet was it not now decent so to do there was therefore a difficulty how they should be able to speak and tears and at length a deep groan followed while they were afraid that if they said nothing they should seem to be in this difficulty from a consciousness of guilt nor had they any defence ready by reason of their youth and the disorder they were under yet was not caesar unapprised when he looked upon them in the confusion they were in that their delay to make their defence did not arise from any consciousness of great enormities but from their unskilfulness and modesty they were also commiserated by those that were there in particular and they moved their father's affections in earnest till he had much ado to conceal them but when they saw there was a kind disposition arisen both in him and in caesar and that every one of the rest did either shed tears or at least did all grieve with them the one of them whose name was alexander called to his father and attempted to answer his accusation and said o father the benevolence thou hast showed to us is evident even in this very judicial procedure for hadst thou any pernicious intentions about us thou hadst not produced us here before the common saviour of all 
for it was in thy power, both as a king and a father, to punish the guilty. But by thus bringing us to Rome, and making Caesar himself a witness to what is done, thou intimatest that thou intendest to save us. For no one that hath a design to slay a man will bring him to the temples, and to the altars. Yet are our circumstances still worse, for we cannot endure to live ourselves any longer, if it be believed that we have injured such a father. Nay, perhaps it would be worse for us to live with this suspicion upon us, that we have injured him, than to die without such a guilt. And if our open defense may be taken to be true, we shall be happy, both in pacifying thee, and in escaping the danger we are in. But if this calumny so prevails, it is more than enough for us to have seen the sun this day, which why should we see, if this suspicion be fixed upon us? Now it is easy to say of young men, that they desire to reign, and to say further, that this evil proceeds from the case of our unhappy mother. This is abundantly sufficient to produce our present misfortune out of the former. But consider well, whether such an accusation does not suit all such young men, and may not be said of them all promiscuously. For nothing can hinder him that reigns, if he have children, and their mother be dead. But the father may have suspicion upon all his sons, as intending some treachery to him. But a suspicion is not sufficient to prove such an impious practice. Now let any man say, whether we have actually and insolently attempted any such thing, whereby actions, otherwise incredible, used to be made credible. Can anybody prove that poison hath been prepared, or prove a conspiracy of our equals, or the corruption of servants, or letters written against thee? Though indeed there are none of these things, but have sometimes been pretended by way of calumny, when they were never done. For a royal family that is at variance with itself is a terrible thing, and that which thou callest a reward of piety often becomes, among very wicked men, such a foundation of hope, as makes them leave no sort of mischief untried. Nor does any one lay any wicked practices to our charge, but as to calumnies by hearsay, how can he put an end to them, who will not hear what we have to say? Have we talked with too great freedom? Yes, but not against thee, for that would be unjust, but against those that never conceal anything that is spoken to them. Has either of us lamented our mother? Yes, but not because she is dead, but because she was evil spoken of by those that had no reason so to do. Are we desirous of that dominion which we know our father is possessed of? For what reason can we do so? If we already have royal honors, as we have, should not we labor in vain? And if we have them not, yet are not we in hopes of them? Or supposing that we had killed thee, could we expect to obtain thy kingdom? While neither the earth would let us tread upon it, nor the sea let us sail upon it, after such an action as that. Nay, the religion of all your subjects, and the piety of the whole nation, would have prohibited parasites from assuming the government, and from entering into that most holy temple which was built by thee. But suppose we had made light of other dangers, can any murderer go off unpunished while Caesar is alive? We are thy sons, and not so impious or so thoughtless as that comes to, though perhaps more unfortunate than is convenient for thee. But in case thou neither findest any causes of complaint, or any treacherous designs, what sufficient evidence hast thou to make such a wickedness of ours credible? 
our mother is dead indeed but then what befell her might be an instruction to us to caution and not an incitement to wickedness we are willing to make a larger apology for ourselves but actions never done do not admit of discourse nay we will make this agreement with thee and that before caesar the lord of all who is now a mediator between us if thou o father canst bring thyself by the evidence of truth to have a mind free from suspicion concerning us let us live though even then we shall live in an unhappy way for to be accused of great acts of wickedness though falsely is a terrible thing but if thou hast any fear remaining continue thou in thy pious life we will give this reason for our own conduct our life is not so desirable to us to desire to have it if it tend to the harm of our father who gave it us when alexander had thus spoken caesar who did not before believe so gross a calumny was still more moved by it looked intently upon herod and perceived he was a little confounded the persons there present were under an anxiety about the young men and the fame that was spread abroad about the king hated for the very incredibility of the calumny and the commiseration of the flower of youth the beauty of body which were in the young men pleaded for assistance and the more so on this account that alexander had made their defence with dexterity and prudence nay they did not themselves any longer continue in their former countenances which had been bedewed with tears and cast downwards to the ground but now there arose in them hope of the best and the king himself appeared not to have had foundation enough to build such an accusation upon he having no real evidence wherewith to correct them indeed he wanted some apology for making the accusation but caesar after some delay said that although the young men were thoroughly innocent of that for which they were calumniated yet had they been so far to blame that they had not demeaned themselves towards their father so as to prevent such suspicion which was spread abroad concerning them he also exhorted herod to lay all such suspicions aside and to be reconciled to his sons for that it was not just to give any credit to such reports concerning his own children and that this repentance on both sides might still heal those breaches that had happened between them and might improve their good will to one another whereby those on both sides excusing the rashness of their suspicions might resolve to bear a greater degree of affection towards each other than they had before after caesar had given them this admonition he beckoned to the young men when they therefore were disposed to fall down to make intercession to their father he took them up and embraced them as they were in tears and took each of them distinctly in his arms till not one of those that were present whether freeman or slave but was deeply affected with what they saw then did they return thanks to caesar and went away together and with them went antipater with the hypocritical pretense that he rejoiced in this reconciliation and in the last days they were with caesar herod made him a present of three hundred talents as he was then exhibiting shows and largesses to the people of rome and caesar made him a present of half the revenue of the copper mines in cyprus and committed the care of the other half to him and honored him with other gifts and incomes and as to his own kingdom he left it in his own power to appoint which of his sons he pleased for his successor or to distribute it in parts to every one that the dignity might thereby come to them all and when herod was disposed to make such a settlement immediately 
Caesar said he would not give him leave to deprive himself, while he was alive, of the power over his kingdom, or over his sons. After this, Herod returned to Judea again. But during his absence, no small part of his dominion about Trachona had revolted, whom yet the commanders he left there had vanquished, and compelled to a submission again. Now as Herod was sailing with his sons, and was come over against Cilicia, to the island of Eleusia, which hath now changed its name for Sebaste, he met with Archelaus, king of Cappadocia, who received him kindly, as rejoicing that he was reconciled to his sons, and that the accusation against Alexander, who had married his daughter, was at an end. They also made one another such presents as it became kings to make. From thence Herod came to Judea and to the temple, where he made a speech to the people concerning what had been done in this his journey. He also discoursed to them about Caesar's kindness to him, and about as many of the particulars he had done, as he thought it, for his advantage, other people should be acquainted with. At last he turned his speech to the admonition of his sons, and exhorted those that lived at court, and the multitude, to concord, and informed them that his sons were to reign after him, Antipater first, and then Alexander and Aristobulus, the sons of Mariamne. But he desired that at present they should all have regard to himself, and esteem him king and lord of all, since he was not yet hindered by old age, but was in that period of life when he must be the most skillful in governing, and that he was not deficient in other arts of management that might enable him to govern the kingdom well, and to rule over his children also. He further told the rulers under him, and the soldiery, that in case they look upon him alone, their life would be led in a peaceable manner, and they would make one another happy. And when he had said this, he dismissed the assembly which speech was acceptable to the greatest part of the audience, but not so to them all. For the contention among his sons, and the hopes he had given them, occasioned thoughts and desires of innovations among them. End of Book 16, Chapters 3 and 4